Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you have a Bible, I'd love it if you would turn to Psalm 93. We're going to continue our series on the Psalms, but this middle three weeks of the series, I'm going to preach kind of a series within the series that I'm going to entitle The ABCs of Intimacy. We're not talking about relational intimacy or marital intimacy. We're talking about intimate fellowship with the God of the universe. And as we jump into today's subject, some of you are going to be a little bit surprised that this is the beginning. This is the A of the ABCs of intimacy. And here's why. I think one of the best ways to begin intimate fellowship with the God of the universe is to understand he is in fact not just my friend, but he is the God of the universe. That's why the A of intimacy is absolute sovereignty. Absolute sovereignty. Now, for the theologically minded in the room or watching online, please don't jump to a conclusion until we get further into this message related to the title. Absolute sovereignty. Psalm 93 is five verses. We're going to cover each verse. There's a point for every verse. And this is kind of widely known as one of the sovereignty psalms. But it's fascinating to me what we find in this psalm. Let's start with verse one, which says this. The Lord is king. Now pause there for a moment. Your translation might say, the Lord reigns. It probably does. I don't actually like the way the NLT translates this first sentence of Psalm 93. I use the NLT because of verse two. You'll see why in point number two. The Lord reigns. It just literally means the Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Now watch this last sentence of verse one. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Question, how come the world can't be shaken? See sentence number one of Psalm 93, verse one, because the Lord reigns. Here's point number one. God alone is sovereign. God alone and no one else is sovereign. Now, some of us might not know what the word sovereign means, so let me give you the most simplistic definition of sovereignty that I can. God is ruler, controller, and sustainer of all his creation. He literally sits on the throne of the universe. He's the final authority. Now, some of you might be wondering, why are we starting with sovereignty when we're talking about intimacy? Well, if you've come to this church for any amount of time, you know one of the goals of my life is to be best friends with God. And by the time I'm done on this earth, for him to see me as one of his best friends. But that's not my only goal. One of my other goals is that you would be best friends with God. And that by the time you're done here on this earth, that he would see you as one of his best friends. But here's what I've learned after a 30-year relationship with the Lord, that sometimes I have a tendency every once in a while to get so focused on the fact that we're friends 
that I forget that he's still king of the universe. You may wonder why, as you've come here, why every weekend, every service, you will hear me say multiple times, the God of the universe, the God of the universe, the God of the universe. You may wonder why. The answer is really simple. It's the little boy's way of reminding himself while we are best friends, long before we became best friends, he was sitting on the throne of the universe. He is the king of the universe. Yes, he's my friend. But sometimes we can get a little bit out of sequence spiritually when we so focus on the fact that we can be friends with God that we forget God is king. Not just my friend. Tilzer says it like this about God's sovereignty. He says, God is able to carry out his eternal purposes to their conclusion without any mistakes, without any hindrances, or without anything going astray. Now, why is it important that God is absolutely sovereign, completely sovereign? Because maybe you've heard uh, a king or queen referred to as a sovereign. The queen of England is referred to as a sovereign or the sovereign of England. But she is not the sovereign. She is a sovereign in her country, not in ours or any other. God alone is sovereign. Why is that so important? Well, think about it like this. If God didn't have absolute sovereignty, complete authority, you know what that would mean? That if there was something he wanted to do in an area where he did not have authority, he would have to go to the one who did have authority and ask for their permission to do what he desired to do. Let's think about that. What if you, in prayer, went to the Lord in regards to an area where he didn't have authority? You go to him, and then he has to go to somebody else. Some of us might not even think about sovereignty, but it's so incredibly important to your everyday walk with Jesus Christ. Because if God isn't completely sovereign, we're in trouble. Another way to say it, there are no boundaries to God's reign. The Lord reigns exclusively. The Lord reigns constantly. And really, really good news, the Lord reigns actively. Now, I don't want to get into the weeds as I was preparing for this message and running it by Holly multiple times this week. Uh, she lovingly reminded me that I was getting far too deep into the weeds on this topic theologically. And so I don't want to get into fatalism and determinism and open theism. Obviously not an open theist, uh, not a, a fatalist. I'm also not a determinist. Here's what determinism means. Determinism, and determinism is believed by many, many, many followers of Jesus Christ. And here's what determinism means that God literally causes every single thing to happen. Now you might think, well, a, a limited minority in the evangelical world believe this. No, 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 there are many, many that believe this. And I'm not poking against anybody, I've got friends who believe this. But for me personally, theologically, I can't make that reach. One of the reasons why I have a hard time explaining theologically to a young woman who's been raped that God was the one that caused it. That's hard for me. And I get that those who believe in it say, well, this is one of those mysteries. I can't leave it at that. And I, I'm not sure scripture leaves it at that. 
But those who believe in this use verses like Proverbs 16, verse 33 as a proof text. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Okay, I don't want to get too sarcastic about this. But do you really think that in Vegas, right now, God, via his spirit, is hovering over every crap stable? Literally going, seven come 11. Come on, Jesus. Now, there are humans who are saying that. But I don't think the God of the universe is literally controlling every single roll of the die. Now, can he? Absolutely. Can he harden a Pharaoh's heart? Absolutely. Does that mean he does that every time with every Pharaoh for all of human history? No, it does not. It just means that he can. Now, why? Why do I not believe in determinism? It isn't just that it's hard to explain to a young woman who's been raped. There's another reason. Because I believe you can't have real love without the freedom of the will. How intimately romantic would it be spiritually if God literally said, now, please don't, don't get me twisted. I, I understand foreknowledge of God, but please. It's not that I don't understand these things, but, but just think about it for a second. I, I just have a difficult time believing that the God of the universe, who says when someone asked him, boil the whole book down, boil the whole book down. Tell me what it means. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love God, love people. It's difficult for me to believe that the God of the universe would say, and here's how I want love to go. I'm gonna make you love me. You're gonna be a robot to me. And because I want you to love me, you're gonna love me, no matter what, Preston. You can kick and scream again, you're gonna love me. Okay, does that seem like real love? Let's just, let's just role play this for a second. If I would have gone to Holly when I proposed, instead of getting down on one knee, I made her get down on one knee and said, listen, woman, we're already off to a bad start with that phrase right there. Listen, woman, you're going to love me. No matter what you want, you're going to love me. Ladies, let me just ask you, you think that's going over very well? You think that's going to draw a tear? Maybe in my eyes, after she slaps me, okay, it, if it wouldn't work there, what makes us think the kind of love God is after is the kind of robotic love where he just says, you're going to love me no matter what. You can't have love without the freedom of the will. Now, Psalm 115, I believe, gives us a picture of the tension between the absolute sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Verse 3 talks about the sovereignty. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Okay, you can't do whatever you please without absolute sovereignty. But look at verse 16. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given, given. You could only give the earth if you have sovereignty over the earth. God has given the earth to be responsible for, to mankind, to humanity. The sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man. Here's the best way to, in my opinion, kind of sum up this tension. Yes, God is in control. 
absolutely in control, but does that mean God is controlling? I don't believe it does. He's not micromanaging, but he's always in control. Here's point number two, which relates to verse number two. God has always been sovereign. Let's read verse two together. Your throne, O Lord, has stood, and here's why I use the NLT, from time immemorial. Great phrase right there. You yourself are from the everlasting past. The word immemorial means indefinitely ancient. Ancient beyond record or memory of any living person. Here's why that's so important to us in our relationship with God. Whatever God is, he has always been. He's not new to anything. This is really good news. Let's just walk this out. How many of us have ever been in the vehicle with a new driver before? Mm-hmm. And how, how was your peace quotient? Yeah, listen to the mumbling, okay? Some of us are kind of laid back. You know, if, if we're parents, uh, Riley, our oldest, was a new driver three years ago. Now Tyler, our oldest son, is a new driver, and our youngest son, Preston, will be a new driver next year. I, I've learned this. There are only two types of right seat drivers who are teaching new drivers. There's the laid back chill, and then there's the slap the dash, you almost killed me kind of right seat driver. Okay, why? Well, because we all like to live, right? I mean, if anybody freaks out, it's just because they like their life. I don't think it's because they have an anger problem. I just think it's because they just went through a red light that had been red for like 12 seconds. And here's the good news about God. He's not a new driver as it relates to his sovereignty. He has always been sovereign. He's not new to this power. Before anything was ever created or recorded, he was sovereign. Because it's who he is. And one of the ways I experience the most peace in God is understanding the eternal consistency of God. God has always been sovereign. Now, this is where this message, verses three and four, takes a little bit of a turn for some of us. And I want to be very sensitive as sweet as I can be as we make this turn together. Here's point number three. God's sovereignty does not remove storms from the lives of God's children. God's sovereignty does not remove storms from the lives of God's children. Let's read verse three. The floods have risen up, O Lord. The floods have roared like thunder. The floods have lifted their pounding waves. Okay, here's what's really interesting to me. You have a five-verse chapter, and God, in a sovereignty psalm, takes the first two verses and talks about his sovereignty, takes the last two verses, talks about his sovereignty, and in the perfect mathematical middle, he talks about storms. Do you think that's a coincidence? One of the best things about God's sovereignty is because it comes in quite handily in our storms. Some of us would like to write the storms of life theologically out of our lives. But let me just remind us all, some of God's best work is done in the midst of the storms. And I love it. 
that he starts Psalm 93 talking about his sovereignty and then works in the storms of my life. His sovereignty, my storms. Now, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, typically one of the most commonly asked questions is this. And incidentally, it's one of the most difficult questions to answer theologically. Why do bad things happen to good people? If God is sovereign, if God has total control and God loves me, then why does God allow bad things to happen to me? Well, I, I, I want to be very sensitive to this because I, I know in a room this size, we have some people who, who have had some things happen to them in days gone by and some, some very terrible things. And some of us might still be blaming God for it. And listen, if I were your enemy and something terribly tragic had been done to you as a child, here's what I would try and do. I would try and get you so fixated on it that two things would happen. You would think it's who you are, it becomes your identity, and I would try and get you to blame God for it. Because if I can get you to blame God for it, then odds are you will keep God at a distance and you won't allow him to heal you from the pain of it. So I try and convince you this is who you are. I'd also try and convince you God was the one to blame. God did this to you. And I know we have some people who believe that. I want to be very, very, very careful with this. But let me just remind you, if, if that's you, many of the storms we face are man-made, not God-ordained. If something terribly tragic happened to you, please, Holy Spirit, would you just wash this truth, your truth, over their hearts and minds right now? Many of the storms we face in a fallen world are man-made, not God-ordained. God's sovereignty includes granting mankind a measure of freedom. And while freedom doesn't cause sin, it does allow for it. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because we live in a fallen world. And if what you wanted was for God to never allow evil at all, here, play that out to its end point. He never could have made us. Because I don't know if you know this, but I have evil in my heart. That's what scripture tells me. That my heart is desperately wicked and so is yours. Have you always made every right choice in your life? No. Why? You're human. You're not perfect. Many of the storms we face are man-made, not God-ordained. That brings us to the fourth point. God is sovereign in and over the storms. Even though God might not have caused it, he allowed it. Why would God allow a storm in my life? to do something with it because he's sovereign in it and over it. Let's read verse four. But mightier than the violent raging of the seas. Oftentimes in scripture, the seas were uh, equated to storms and the storms, uh, literal storms equated to the storms of life. Mightier than the violent raging of the seas. 
mightier than the breakers on the shore. The Lord above is mightier than these. I just want to read you a couple, and I can read you a ton of passages where God himself speaks about his nature versus the storms. Jeremiah 5.22, this is God talking. He says, have you no respect for me? Why don't you tremble in my presence? I, the Lord, define the ocean's sandy shoreline as an everlasting boundary that the waters cannot cross. The waves may toss and roar, Preston, but they can never pass the boundaries I set. I love it when he talks like that. That's sovereignty. That's the voice of the sovereign one. Preston, the storms might rage in your life, but never ever forget, the waters live according to my boundaries and they will not pass the boundaries that I set. It's God saying, I am in control, Preston. No matter how bad the storms are raging on the earth, I'm on the throne and I'm in control. I always have been. I am presently. We'll see in point five, he always will be. Here's another one, Job 38, verses eight through 11. This is God speaking. He says, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? This is before the creation of man. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this is God speaking, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. God is in control. And if something terribly tragic happened to you, whether it was yesterday or many, many yesterdays ago. I'm not gonna lie, I would try and get you to answer the question, why would God allow this? And the more I ask that question, here's what I've learned in 20 years of vocational ministry, when somebody asks that question for a long period of time, it's not uncommon for them to move into, why did God do this to me? It's why it's so, why it's so important to understand Many of the storms we face are man-made, not God-ordained. Why did God do this to me? I'm not sure that he did first. But if you've been through something terribly tragic, somebody did something to you, and you're still blaming God, can I, can I sweetly submit something to you? Maybe the most helpful question isn't, why did God allow this, or why did God do this to me? Maybe the most helpful question might be, what can God do with this? Can God do anything with this? And if he can, what can he do with this? Now, before I give you a verse that maybe some believers have given you before, and it, it might have even made you mad because it just landed the wrong way. Before I give you Romans 8, 28, and you already know, many of you know what it is. God takes everything and turns it for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Okay, but let me try and illustrate this for you. And I get, please hear my heart. If, if you've been through something, I, this illustration is not equitable with what you've been through. I'm trying to make it as simple to understand as possible. Let me try and explain what I believe God can do with what you've been through, like this. Think of it like a recipe. Think of life, your life like the recipe for a dish. Let's say, we're kind of mid through, midway through the year, Let, let's say gingerbread cookies. 
I love me some gingerbread cookies. And when I say I love me some, I mean I love to sit down and eat four or five at one time. And I'm not talking about gingerbread cookies. I'm talking about gingerbread plates. You know what I'm saying? I love me some gingerbread cookies. We make the houses so that I can consume them. Okay? But there's, there's an ingredient in gingerbread cookies that's kind of intriguing to me. It's nutmeg. Nutmeg is disgusting. If you don't believe me, go home, and if you don't have any in the cupboard, stop at the grocery store, grab a $4 bottle of nutmeg, get in your car, open it up, dab a little on your finger, and just see if you like all by itself that nasty, clovey spiciness. It's disgusting. Yet, it's in one of my favorite things to eat. I wonder if this isn't a decent way to see Romans 8, 28. That God works together for good. Everything we've been through, the good and the bad. Here's Preston's paraphrase of Romans 8, 28. And this is especially for those of you who have been through something terribly tragic at the hands of someone else. God can take the good and bad ingredients of your life and make something better, not just palatable. The goal of your life as it relates to Jesus is to live the abundant life, not an endurable life. It doesn't mean things will be easy, but it does mean when things are hard and when things don't go the way we want them to, that the sovereign one can take the bad, the nasty nutmeg of my life and turn it into something better when he adds a little bit of sugar to it, a little bit of that ginger. The question probably isn't, why did God do this to me? You can keep asking that question. I just don't think it's going to lead you anywhere good. I think the more healthy and helpful question is what can God do with us? Because the little girl, the little boy is really asking deep down, is this going to define me for the rest of my life? Can God do anything with someone like me now? And here is his answer, not mine. You better bet your gingerbread cookies I can and will. You just have to let me. God is sovereign in and over the storms. Here's point number five. God will always be sovereign. I sleep better because of this. I never have to fall asleep at night wondering if when I wake up, God will still be in control. You know how wonderful that is? Some of us have an addiction to the nightly news. And you might battle fear every once in a while. You know how wonderful it is to know that you fall asleep every night of your life with God sitting on the throne and are guaranteed to wake up every morning of your life on this earth with God still being on the throne. He always has been. He is. He always will be sovereign. Let's read verse 5. Your royal laws cannot be changed. Your reign 
O Lord, is holy forever and ever and ever. God's sovereignty is not occasional or situational. It is eternal. It's forever. Some of us are so focused on all the threats around us that we probably need to be reminded of his sovereignty and focus on the throne above us. The truth of what is happening right now on the earth is not found in the news. It's found in the scriptures. He will always, always, forever and always be the sovereign one. Jeremiah 32 verse 17 connects this powerfully to us. O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing. No thing. What does it mean that God is sovereign? Nothing. There is nothing too hard for him. Leading your wayward teenager back home. Nothing is too hard. Healing a broken marriage. Nothing is too hard for our sovereign God. Finding you a job when you haven't had one for seven months because of COVID. Nothing is too hard for our God. Healing a hurt that has been there for more than half of your life. Nothing is too hard for our God. But here's where his sovereignty really gets nasty as it relates to our responsibility on the earth. When God asks you to do something that it appears to you as being totally impossible for you to pull off, this is when his sovereignty really comes in handy. Think about it. When God said to a human, hey, listen, we're in a bit of a pickle. Uh, The Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the world is chasing my people. I'm not sure what to do. I'm new to this whole power thing. I'm not sure what to do. I need you to figure out something to do. I was trying to get you to go left, but you went right, and now you're at the shore and you're stuck. You better figure it out. Okay, that's not how the conversation went. In the heavenlies, I believe it went something more like this. I'd like to prove a point today. And not just today. I'd like to prove a point for all of human history. That for me, nothing is impossible. So I'm going to pick a man who has wrestled with me and asked me not to use him. I'm going to lead him to a place where it seems literally impossible for him to pull this off. And then I'm going to move. And every human who follows me will sleep better at night knowing their God is capable of pulling this off. And the waters parted. When God, at 18, the first time I came out to Arizona, having never been here before, said, Preston, one day, you're going to come back here and you're going to plant a church. To which in my heart, my response was, have you seen me? Bro, I can't even say four sentences without lying at least one time. Are you crazy? No, Preston, I'm sovereign. 
you're crazy. <laughs> I'm in control. I, I think sometimes we learn Bible verses and, and it's like Satan tries to turn them into cliches so that we won't live them out. And I'll give you one of them. Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Do we actually believe this? When we understand God's sovereignty, I think we do. Here's what this means. That if God desires something to happen through you, no matter how impossible, and the more you walk with him, I'm convinced, the more impossible he likes to try and set things up so that he gets even more glory through you. But if God desires something to happen through you, it's not going to come down to your strength. It's going to come down to his sovereignty and your obedience. There's some impossible things God wants to do through you. In part, just to teach you he's the only one that can pull them off. So instead of lamenting and saying, why all of these storms? Why not start getting excited and going, oh my goodness, this is the point in the movie where he just drops the mic. Every storm is a setup for the sovereignty of God. Why? Is sovereignty the first thing we focus on when we talk about intimate fellowship? Because when you realize that the God of the universe who sits on the throne of the universe calls up your number privately and says, I'd like to be alone with you for a little while. It gets really easy to go in. It's not like getting called into the principal's office. It's the exact opposite. When the God of the universe says, hey, come away with me, just the two of us. Forget about all the storms. Let's shove it in the enemy's face by stopping everything and just being alone together in the middle of a cat five her again. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.